Go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 30. That's where we're going to be this morning. Living in faith from tragedy to triumph. Well, it can't get any worse. Have you ever said that? What happens right after that? It gets worse. Yeah, and that's where we find David today. And although David never threw off the authority of God like Saul, he certainly followed his own way for a little while, finding shelter with, from Saul with God's enemy, the Philistines. He, his deceitful and violent ways did not demonstrate faithfulness to God. We've seen that over the last few chapters. The dreadful situation that David and his men find themselves in as they return home to their hometown on fire and their families and possessions taken could very well be the chastising hand of God the Father. But we're not told that. One thing is certain, though. God would use this disaster to restore David to himself and to prepare him to take his place as God's king of God's people. God uses troubles and trials and even tragedies for our ultimate good and his glory. Amen? David gives us a lesson in how to return to the Lord if we've wandered into sin territory and gotten comfortable with the enemy. And he shows us how to live by faith in a broken, hurting, trouble-filled world. We're also going to get a glimpse today, just a peek behind the life and experience that gives us the book of Psalms. We will get a glimpse into the struggles and the difficulties that help shape David's faith. So we're just going to walk through this historical narrative and we're going to learn some things about living in faith. But first, what's faith? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, doesn't it? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then in verse 6 of that chapter, Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's what we're going to see. That's where we're going to find David today, turning back and seeking God. We're going to see David's faith in full display, but it's going to be a wild roller coaster ride in a very short time span in David's life here. And some of you may say, well, that, it, it just sounds like another day in the life. Well, we'll see. If this describes your life, let's talk afterwards, okay? But let's, let's begin by reading the first six verses and set the stage. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag, on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag, and they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. By the way, David and his men didn't know that when they returned. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David 
strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Okay. So, God in his providence had just delivered David and his men from between a rock and a hard place. Right? So let me remind you what Gerald preached two weeks ago. Uh, David... Uh, David had been making nice with uh, Achish, a Philistine ruler, and pretending to side with him. And he finds himself headed toward a battlefield with the wrong guys, okay? With the Philistines who were getting ready to go to battle with Israel. And in my opinion, I don't think David, knowing he's God's pick for the next king of Israel, would have ever fought against God's people, but he's in a tough spot. He's looking at walking out on the battlefield with the enemy. And I can just hear David whispering to his men, just keep your mouth shut and do whatever I do while he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And the, But here's what happened. The other Philistine commanders aren't having it. They're like, Achish. The Israelites have written songs about this dude. He's their hero. Don't you remember we used to have a big giant walking around here? And he's the reason we don't have a big giant walking around here anymore. Yeah, so they send him on his way, David and his men, and that is God's provision. As we heard from Samuel beyond the grave last week, as uh, Jason was preaching about witches. I can't believe you did that. No, I'm just kidding. As we heard from Samuel beyond the grave last week, and as we'll see next week, I might ruin it for you, but the battle's not going to go very well next week, okay? And Israel's going to lose. And Saul is going gonna, is gonna to die. So David couldn't fight with Saul because Saul wanted to kill him, but he couldn't fight against his countrymen. So, And here's the reality. Every time David fought the Philistines, he won. He whooped them every time. So David couldn't be at this battle. So God in his providence sent them home. So they've done this forced march that took over two days. They've covered about 60 miles, okay? And they're physically spent. And as they arrive, as they're getting closer to town, they see the smoke rising. Not good. And they're shocked to discover that the Amalekites have destroyed their town and, and their families are missing. And they're overwhelmed with despair. It says all, including David, wept loudly until they had no strength left to to weep. Picture 600 brute soldiers just weeping. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so full of grief that you cried until you felt like you didn't have any tears left and, and you could barely lift your head? Man, there's no tired like that tired, is there? You feel like, you I mean, man, when you're grieving, you're overcome with sorrow, you're just emotionally spent. And it's natural to ask why. What brought this dreadful event upon them? Was it the sin of David and his men? They had been violently attacking Amalekite villages. But we're not told that this was payback. Was it a consequence of Saul's sin? If you'll remember, I think it was in 1 Samuel 15, God had commanded Saul to wipe out the Amalekites in the battle. And Saul had disobeyed. If he had done that, the Amalekites wouldn't have attacked Ziglag. 
They wouldn't have been able to. But he didn't. So with Saul's sin, the consequence of Saul's sin. And then there's these Amalekites. They were enemies of God's people. But they were also enemies of the Philistines. And they most definitely knew that the Israelites and the Philistines were heading north to battle against one another. And so they took advantage. And they were going around hitting all of these defenseless villages in Judah and uh, in the Philistine territory. So what caused this? Was it their sin, the consequences of someone else's sin, the evil and brokenness of this world? Yes. As is most of the time, it's, a, it's, it's, it's several things. But when we find ourselves broken and grieved and or overwhelmed, we want to know why too, don't we? And many times the answer to that question is elusive. Our sin, someone else's sin, the brokenness of this world, our spiritual enemy, usually it's a combination of some of those. But in reality, it didn't really matter at the moment to these guys. And in the moment of despair and distress, it doesn't really change anything for us either. And then there's this reality. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And that's if we follow him. That is, we're going to have trouble if we're doing the right thing. If we're honoring God. So, what, wait a minute. If we're sinning, we're going to have trouble because it's the natural consequence of sin. Or just living in a broken world, we're going to have the con- we're, there's going to be trouble. Or if we're doing the right thing and following God, we're, we're going to have trouble. Guess what, folks? We're going to have trouble. Y'all with me? Capital T. Regardless of why or how, though, there is much grieving and there seems to be no hope. And, and David's men are processing their grief and they're processing pretty fast. And they've gotten to the anger stage pretty quick. When the tears ran out, that's where they went. And it's becoming bitterness and it's pointed at David. And it's not unusual to want to blame somebody and put it on somebody. And David's a natural one they pick. And they're discussing stoning David. And it says they're discussing it because of the loss of their children. And, you know, what about the wives? One commentator suggested that the men assumed that their wives were already dead. But they figured that their children had been taken to be sold into slavery. I guess you could say they underestimated the greed of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were going to sell everybody and everything. But David is in despair over the loss of his family. And now he's in distress because his life is being threatened. And David is at a low point, probably as lowest yet. And when you're so low, there's only one way to look, right? And he looks to the Lord. And this is the second encouragement here when you're living in faith is to respond in faith when trials and tragedies come. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Let's read verses 6 through 8. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to, to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Let's stop there. I don't want to give it away. Don't read ahead. 
Strengthen yourself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord as God. Hmm. Yeah. Strengthen himself in the Lord his God. You know, you might not want to grunt here yet, but by the time I finish explaining what this means, you're going, oh, yeah. Yeah. We know that up until this point, David and his men were physically drained from the journey. They're overcome with grief to the point they can't cry anymore. And David is sabbed of all strength. He's at his weakest point. He is spent. Before I explain what this means, what strengthened himself in the Lord means, let me tell you what it's not. It's not a quick fix. It's not a magic formula. It's not some power of positive thinking. Okay? And it's been a while since David has said anything about God or since we've seen David seek the Lord. And now he turns to the only place he can, to the only one he has left to turn to, God. And when you get there, you realize how much you need God, right? And that's the first thing I think you can write down there under strengthened, if you want to, is he realized he was reminded of his dependence on God. Man, it's easy for us to get caught up in life and to forget how much we need the Lord until the bottom drops out. But we need Him like we need air. And sometimes it takes the bad times to force us to look to the one we should have been looking to the whole time. Recognize your dependence on God. And secondly, seek the Lord in prayer. And if needed, find restoration. That's what David did. What is not explained here, but I think we can infer from the whole of Scripture, is that David came to the Lord his God and confessed and repented of his sin. David knew God is holy and righteous. And we see in Psalms many times that his awareness of the importance of dealing rightly with sin before a holy God was paramount in David's life. It was huge. I think it's part of why David said, I mean, God said that David was a man after his own heart. He understood God to that point, and he understood himself to that point. David was honest with God. Isn't that what we appreciate about Psalms? David's just honest. Here it is. And he cries out constantly. He's crying out to the Lord. And it seems like a pattern. He starts out crying out to the Lord, God, help, help. And by the end, he's reminding himself that God is faithful. I can trust God, that God is the one who will see me through. David knew this about God, and he was honest with God. It's foolish not to be, right? God knows. And the believer's life is and has to be one of regular repentance. In Psalms 42, 4, David says, O Lord, be gracious to me, for I have sinned against you. In Psalms 51, this would be David's right response of repentance after his famous And terrible fall and sin later in his life. But it's a beautiful demonstration of confession and repentance. And it demonstrates the importance that David felt about his relationship with God. After he's asked the Lord to cleanse him of his sin. And to wash him. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. In other words, just religious uh, rituals will not cut it for God. And David knows this. David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is what David knows about God. And you see the relationship here. And David was strengthened in the Lord, his God. His God. Saul could not claim such a relationship with God. We saw last week that when Saul wanted to hear from God, which was really just a matter of wanting some information, God did not respond to him or his people. So Saul went to a necromancer. He went to a witch to hear from Samuel from the dead to get a word from the Lord. David turned to his God. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He found strength there. What does that mean? As we'll see, it makes all the difference in the world for David, for his men, and ultimately so many others. But what does it mean to find strength in the Lord your God? What does it look like? Well, as I've already said, it begins with a relationship. And again, to have a right relationship with holy God, there needs to be repentance, a turning from sin, and a trusting in and believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there is prayer here. There's a dependence on God. There's a relationship. There's prayer. David, as we see in Psalms, spent much time talking to God. And then a big part of this is he remembers God's promises and God's character. Okay? We've seen this terminology before in 1 Samuel. The idea of being strengthened. It happened when David's brother in the Lord, Jonathan, visited David in the wilderness David saw that King Saul was seeking his life. He was looking to put him to death. And it says in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 23 that Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. How did he do that? Well, listen to what he's told him. He said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. In other words, Saul's not going to kill you because God has a plan for you, David. We can strengthen each other by encouraging one another with God's word. Amen. And we're called to do that. That that's. That's the means by which we help each other grow in the Lord. It's really discipleship. You've heard that many times. That same promise had had to encourage David here. If David was eventually going to be king, that meant he wouldn't die immediately by the grief-stricken soldiers around him. It also meant that God wasn't done with him. It was a reminder that God was still working, even though it wasn't obvious that God was still working. We also see David strengthening himself. He's finding strength in the Lord by remembering who God is, his character, his faithfulness, and remembering what God has said, his promises. I started to just... Uh, oh, I'm going to do a whole list of promises. I'm going to get, and then I happened to see a book on the shelf in the library in there, and it was as thick as my Bible that said the promises of God. 
And I thought, hmm, okay, my sermon's already too long. I can't do that. I, I meant to bring it and lay it there and say, you can, you can come look if you need to see that. But yes, David had many memories that he could look back on for encouragement. God was with him in the field with the sheep when he defeated the lions and the bears when he was protecting his sheep. And how about Goliath? He knew that day that it was God who had really won the victory. Yes, God had used David, but it was God who it was it was God who David gave the glory to. How many other times had God directed David? Had he protected David and given David and his men victory after victory? And God had been and was faithful. Did that mean that David didn't suffer? No, he did suffer. Had he spent some significant time on the run and living in caves? Years. But David did not and could not doubt God's love and God's faithfulness. Let me ask you, do you have memories like that? Do you have testimonies of times when God has done wonderful, maybe even miraculous things in your life and the lives of those around you? When we can't count on anything else, we can count on the Lord. His character never changes and His promises are sure. And for those of us in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and amen. And in Christ and through Christ, our amen, yes, ascends to God for His glory. The more we take God at His word... The more we experience his faithfulness and the more we learn to trust him. And here's David. And he has seemingly lost everything. His family, his home, his possessions and the goodwill of his followers. And it seems like his health is in question. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David was reminded in that moment that even though he had lost everything else, he still had his God. And that was enough. He still had his God, and that was enough. It was more than enough. It was really everything. God is our greatest need to know and experiencing him. Can you say, my God? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you you understand that you could lose everything else, but you'll be okay because you can say, my God? When you can say, my God, it doesn't matter what the situation is. There is still hope in him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. I can hear David singing. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life and death. That was written by David Shane and Shane. Sorry. I, I, that sounds like one David would write. David is reminded of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And he, he calls for the priest and he seeks the Lord's guidance. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. Once again, there's quite a contrast. Saul sought the voice of a witch. David sought the voice of God. Saul looked to the dead for direction, and David looks to the living God. So David has Abathar bring the ephod and 
I don't believe this is the only way David communicated with God, as I've already said. But I believe that for most of David's life, he was praying continually. He was walking and talking with God. We see that in the Psalms. But the ephah was something the priests usually wore as they served the Lord, and it represented the Lord to his people. And as Gerald has said, we don't know exactly how it worked. But this is a means by which David is praying to God and asking for direction. This was the special means by which God would speak to his people. And God answers, and I think I stopped short. So let's start in verse 8. And God inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. God answers and is clear and direct. And God doesn't just say you will overtake them and you will rescue your families. He says it emphatically. You will surely overtake them. You will surely rescue them. It's, it's as if God knew David needed some extra encouragement in this moment. It's not only saying you will. He's saying you surely will. And the first thing here is, it's a big deal. God answers. That's a big deal. And God doesn't just answer. He answers emphatically. And listen, how does God speak to his people now? He speaks through his word. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Man, it's a hopeful thing to hear from the living God. And David has found strength from the Lord, and his hope has been restored as God has answered his prayer. And he responds with immediate obedience. Let's read verses 9 and 10. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, and he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Okay. So he responds in obedience. They take off headed south because they had just come from the north. But there are issues here. And even though God has answered the biggest questions, David still had decisions to make and issues to contend with. The guys are really tired. 60 mile forced hike. The emotional, emotional turmoil, believing their families are dead and or gone for good, and they're spent. And so about 15 miles into this pursuit at the brook of Besor, a third of David's army says, we can't go any further. We don't have it in us, David. And we'll see in a bit that David did give them a job to watch over the baggage. But the biggest issue here that David was dealing with was the reality that they didn't know where the Amalekites were. Where did they go? Now, despite the issues, they were all really tired, which, by the way, traditionally it's not the state you want your army to be in before the battle. Y'all with me? To be really, 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 really tired, that's not a good place to be before the battle. They're down from 600 men to 400 men, mm, and they aren't really sure where they're going. And there's no woman there to encourage them to stop and ask for directions. Oh, I'm just, uh, these younger folks are like, what? You got Siri. What are you talking about? (laughs) 
God, but God said pursue. So they're going. How about in your life? Have you ever had to step out in obedience without all the answers? If you have been walking this faith journey long, the answer to that question is going to be yes. You have had to step out without all the answers. I can hear David singing. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. In faith, you move. God's word is a lamp unto our feet. He'll give you the next step, but he rarely gives you much more than that. Now, David knew God had promised the victory, but he didn't know where and he didn't know how. We're tired in faith. David said, let's go. We just lost a third of the army. God said, pursue. Let's go. Which way? God said, move. As we move, he will show us the way. Let's see what happens in verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And they gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. He had made a raid against the Negev of the Chariotherites. That was one I was... Looking forward to and, and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Let's stop there for a second. As we go, we need to recognize God's provision along the way. What a coincidence. They just happened to find a guy who knew what had happened to Ziglag and, and their families and where the Amalekites were. What a coincidence, right? And a David agrees not to kill the Egyptian. Or to give him back to his master in exchange for the information. And, and listen, David is restored in his relationship at this point. He's restored in his relationship with God. And he's been reminded that God is at work even when it doesn't look like it. Listen, do we need to be reminded in this crazy, crazy world we're living in that God is still at work? We do, don't we? He is not asleep at the will. In fact, David even said as much in Psalms 121, 4. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So David's spiritual sensitivity is working again. He had good, I termed this phrase, I think this is original to me, spiritual situational awareness. Also known as discernment. Now, situational awareness is something my law enforcement friends have told me about. Police officer buddy told me this is the most significant thing you can do for personal defense. Really, it's just being aware of what's happening around you. My girls hear this from me a lot as a concerned father of girls who live in the city. Situational awareness. As believers, we should practice spiritual situational awareness. Seeking to be aware of what is happening around us spiritually and what God is doing. 
And Henry Blackaby taught us years ago, when we see God at work in someone's life, that's an invitation from God because he allows us to see it, to join him in what he is doing in their life. This week, one of our ladies started chemo treatments. I think it's okay. Is this okay? Yep. Melissa started chemo treatments this week. And God was working in the details. We have two guys that work at Duke. And we had prayed in life group for Melissa on Wednesday night. And on Thursday, these guys were given pink cancer awareness t-shirts for their employees to wear. And when and and we're told when they were supposed to wear them, which happened to be coincidence, the same day Melissa was starting her first treatment. So what did they do? They sent her that picture. Isn't that cool? Melissa said she called it a God hug. I like that. I would say her hand was strengthened in the Lord by her brothers in Christ. By the way, Jonathan and Travis didn't know I was going to do that. Look good in pink there. Yeah. Strengthened by the Lord. David knew God would provide all that was needed for him to obey what God had told him to do. That's faith. Do you trust God to drop an Egyptian in the middle of your desert when you need directions? All right, that might be a little too case specific. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Do you trust God to provide when you need to follow him in obedience? Living by faith. Which, honestly, it's the result of finding your strength in the Lord. Looking to him. And then receive God's gracious victory and give him the glory. Let's continue reading in verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that, all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought all, brought back all. David also captured all the flocks. And herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. And then in verse 23, David reminds them that the Lord had given them and preserved them, given them this victory and preserved them and given the enemy into their hands. So God gives the gracious victory. Wow. Most commentators believe this battle started at sunrise and concluded at sunset. And we're not sure how many Amalekites there were, but it was probably, it was certainly well over a thousand, uh, possibly several thousand. I, I would, I would say based on my study that it was probably five to one, probably two or, two or three thousand against David and four hundred soldiers. So they were vastly outnumbered. But, of course, they took the Malachites by surprise. And, of course, the Malachites thought their enemies were all long, uh, long far away. So they're spread out and partying, and it was a decisive victory. David struck them down. 
The number of Amalekites that got away were 400, and that was the fast young guys that got to the camels first. And we aren't told, but apparently there was little to no losses for David's army. What an incredible victory. And it really was a miracle. David recovered all that was taken. Nothing was missing. Everything. In addition to that, they had gained all this plunder that the Amalekites had been gathering from all these villages that they had raided. Man, now the mood had changed amongst the men, don't you reckon? There's joy. Just for a moment, consider the emotional roller coaster they've been on. From the tense scene of possibly having to line up on the battlefield with your enemy against your countrymen, then the joy of heading home and the relief there, and, you know, and then the to get home and, and the grief of thinking your family's dead, your homes are burned, everything's gone. And then the, the, to hear from the Lord and to be encouraged, David has heard from God. We can pursue them and conquer them. Get our, so, and then another battle, and here they are. Wow. So these men who hours before wanted to stone David in their grief are now hailing him. And they're designating most of the spoils of war as his. But David set them straight. In obedience to God, he had led them in the battle. But David knows who really owns the victory. And he's not gonna, he's gonna make sure that everybody knows who won the victory. Let's, let's continue reading in verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given to us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So David says, no, no, that's not how it's going to go. He says, guys, it wasn't me and it wasn't you. If it wasn't for God, we'd still be in mourning in Ziglag. We're alive and our families are alive because of God. We've defeated our enemy because God put him into our hand. God gave us this sweeping victory. Not you, not me, God. Man, it's important for us to remember that he's the one that deserves the credit. All the glory belongs to the Lord. Amen. But let me tell you, and let me bring it back to us. Sometimes we don't get the victory we want. Sometimes we don't recover it all. Here, God gets to divine, define the victory. But again, if when all else is lost, you can say, my God, knowing Jesus, then you will have the ultimate and greatest victory. And David reflects on reflects God's justice and his generosity with how he responds to these guys. And. I'm going to cut this short, but this is a picture of how God's grace works here. These wicked and worthless guys, they felt like they deserved it because of what they had done. And they were stealing God's glory. And they were not recognizing 
God's grace. God is a giver. He chooses who gets what and when. And no one deserves His grace. It is unmerited favor. It reminds me of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Remember, some worked all day and others worked one hour. But the owner decided to pay them all the same. The point wasn't about what one thought they deserved. It was about the generosity of the owner of the vineyard. It's God's to give. And anything from God is a gift of grace. And grace is not earned. It's not about fairness here. Because none of us deserve His grace. And God, David speaks with kingly authority here and with godly righteousness. And we see in verse 25, read it with me. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. That the generosity, the plunder would be shared by all. That was what he did. And it was a kingly thing to do. Let me take us back just for a moment as we conclude. You remember when... The people, God's people demanded a human king. And God said, okay. In 1 Samuel 8, God told Samuel, do what they've asked, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And Samuel took all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. And I'm going to skip through here. He's going to appoint for himself commanders. And he's going to take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields. He will take a tenth of your grain. He will take your male servants and female servants. He will, he will take a tenth of your flocks. What's the word here? What's the theme for Saul? It's take. Take for himself. But here's David. And he's not perfect. He's still human. But he is a man after God's own heart. He is God's king. He loves and worships the Lord. And and here he reflects the heart of God by giving. And we see generosity. And the rest of this chapter talks about how David shared the plunder with all of Judah. He sent the plunder to the elders of the towns. Some of those towns have been robbed by the Amalekites. And they were getting back what they what they had lost. Others had helped David and his men. And David was returning good for good. I'm sure that's a part of it. But the biggest thing here is I believe that David was demonstrating that he was a king after God's own heart. God is a generous God. And God was going to give his people a king who would reflect his love, his grace, his goodness, and his generosity. This is a critical time in the life of Israel. And God's man is about ready to step into the role that God has promised. Not quite. It's not going to be easy or smooth transition. But God is working. So does, did that sound like just another day in your life? Well, when it comes to your life, let me encourage you. Live it for Him. Live it in faith. Give Him the glory. He deserves it. The victory belongs to the Lord. And let's live relying on His strength. Aware of our dependence on Him. Spending time regularly in prayer in the Word. Remembering God's faithfulness. Being encouraged and encouraging each other as we live this life together. By the way, Jesus did say in this world you will have trouble. But He followed that up by saying, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. We as his followers get to share in his victory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that reality. The reality that, Lord, regardless of what it looks like around us, regardless of the madness of this world, the brokenness of this world, or the brokenness of my life, Lord, you are there. You are my God. Lord, we can say our God. Lord, thank you that for the reality that even though we blow in the breeze and we are not consistent, Lord, you are consistent and you do not change. You are always good. You are always faithful. And you love us. Lord, thank you for the promises that are ours in Christ. Thank you for the victory that we are promised to share in. Victory over death. Lord, thank you for the life that we have. For the hope that is ours, regardless of the despair and the distress and the difficulty and the trouble. Lord, thank you. You are there. You are here. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.